Yeah, thanks, Tom. Well, I think the first thing to say is, as you rightly say, it's something that we uh, care a lot about and have spent a lot of effort looking at, in, in partly because slavery is, of course, a, an evil, and it's as evil now as it was uh, back in the olden days when we thought we had eradicated it. In this episode of Life with GDPR, Jonathan Armstrong and myself take a look at a recent Financial Reporting Council and others report on compliance with the UK Slavery Act. They find a few successes but are pretty critical of corporations' responses to this law and suggests some changes going forward. I know you will enjoy this episode. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with Life with GDPR. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Jonathan Armstrong for another episode of Life with GDPR. Today, we're going to move a little bit outside GDPR to talk about modern slavery because a recent report urged boardrooms to do more to eradicate modern slavery. And although there's some positive findings, the report is critical of business compliance in this area. Jonathan, I know you and your colleagues at Quarterly have looked at this issue and written about it. What did you all see in the report um, that is either troubling or at least uh, provides uh, some guidance for corporations going forward. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Well, I think the first thing to say is, as you rightly say, it's something that we uh, care a lot about and have spent a lot of effort looking at, in, in partly because slavery is, of course, a, an evil, and it's as evil now as it was uh, back in the olden days when we thought we had eradicated it. And slavery obviously is an issue both at home and abroad. There's criticism of some foreign nations who seem to condone or encourage slavery, who make products for you and I. But also we see it at, uh, at home as well in car washes, in nail bars, in uh, cleaning and in the sex industry. And so the UK in 2015 tried to bring in new legislation to uh, try and eradicate modern slavery. In some respects, it wasn't a full-on attempt to do so. It it sort of invoked disclosure and transparency requirements for corporations, as well as toughening up the criminal law. There have been some successes in criminal prosecutions against slave masters, for example, and there are a number of significant ongoing investigations uh, against people who have held uh, others, sometimes UK citizens, sometimes people from overseas, uh, in horrific conditions against their will. And and this report really focuses, though, on the uh, transparency obligations rather than the criminal uh, offences. It's fair to say that UK government has tried to enforce the transparency provisions, including through the modern slavery register, where it's encouraged businesses to file their modern slavery statements. And there are plans to overhaul 
the regime, in part led uh, by the UK Parliament's investigation in supply chains that touch uh, Xinjiang. But this report was from the Financial Reporting Council, the FRC, the UK Anti-Slavery Commission, and Lancaster University. And they surveyed 100 major corporations, and they looked at their modern slavery statements. And as we've said on podcasts in the past, organizations are obliged uh, to publish those modern slavery statements online if they have an annual turnover of more than 36 million sterling, about $44 million. And that's global uh, turnover, global revenue. That's not UK revenue. So if you're uh, the compliance officer of a corporation with a revenue, annual revenue of more than $44 million, and you have UK operations, then you'll likely have to uh, uh, have a modern slavery statement that's uh, available usually on your website. So the criticisms were saying that um, effectively uh, some of the information that corporations were publishing was somewhat vague and it didn't enable shareholders and stakeholders to make informed decisions. It said that the KPIs, so you're obliged to publish KPIs uh, by the Act, it said that the KPIs were particularly poor Only a quarter of companies disclosed results against their KPIs and just 12% confirmed that they'd made uh, decisions based on the KPIs. Less than half of the companies involved uh, gave information about uh, the uh, organizational structure, where modern slavery is discussed, how it's incorporated in uh, supply chains. And only 46% gave in their policies information on slavery and human trafficking uh, uh, that um, was usable, if you like. They criticized uh, companies for for, uh, often lacking detail. And then one of their other criticisms was saying that almost all modern slavery statements were backward-looking rather than forward-looking. They were saying uh, you know, what they had done rather than saying what they intended to do, whether they intended to be proactive, whether they intended to improve. And less than a third, only 28%, disclosed an action plan based on the risks uh, identified. And then there was further criticism about uh, other aspects of the uh, re- uh, reports, that were made by organizations and uh, reports about things like due diligence. Only half of the companies in the sample said that they assessed uh, forced labor or modern slavery risks before signing contracts. Only 61% had modern slavery provisions in their supply contracts. And we know how important all of that is less than half, some 40%, only uh, only 40% provided information on slavery risks in their supply chain. Only 20% looked at slavery risks in their own business. And as I say, we know that these are areas where there are particular struggles. We know, for example, from conversations that we've had with people 
that in some industries, security might be one, for example. It's very hard to get reassurances from businesses that we work with. And we know of organizations that have had to insource some outsourced contracts because they couldn't get comfort from their supply chain. So I think the takeaways from this are, firstly, that modern slavery is an area that people probably should care about. It chimes into the ESG agenda that is front and center for many corporations now. You know, how can you say that you're an ESG responsible organization when forced labor is working in your organization or for it? Secondly, I think we've got to understand that slavery is at home and abroad. It's not just a matter of us disciplining suppliers in other countries. We need to look at cleaning staff, at catering workers, at security staff in our own organization, whether they come from employment agencies or whether we outsource those arrangements to third-party organizations. And we also need to look at areas for improvement. My suspicion is, just from walking around London in the last couple of weeks, that this is an area of increased tension at the moment. As we all know, with issues like the Great Reservation, many organizations are struggling to find staff. And they're relying more and more on temporary workers and on agency workers. And that's often where the highest risks lie. And I just know from walking the streets in in the UK, looking at construction sites, for example, there are uh, different groups on those construction sites versus two years ago. Now, I'm not suggesting that every new recruit on a construction site is a slave, but we do know from places like Dubai, for example, that when you look for large numbers of transient workers in the construction industry, they're often held in uh, conditions of uh, slavery or conditions that are certainly less than ideal. So I think it behoves all of us to take another look at our supply chains and particularly those human supply chains and look at whether there are modern slavery risks. Now, of course, the UK isn't doing this in isolation. The EU has a number of measures trying to look at these risks. There is legislation in other European countries that's gone through or going through. And in addition, of course, the US has been looking particularly at Xinjiang-originated product and using border control mechanisms, etc., to seize goods and delay them whilst due diligence is gone through. So as well as the sort of the ESG-related reasons for doing this exercise, it's also imperative in a time when global supply chains are under strain that we're able to look at the proper origin of goods and get some assurance that they haven't been produced by slave labor to make sure that our products, if we sell products, can pass freely uh, through the uh, shipping lanes and other sources of movement.
So let me pick up on that last point, Jonathan, because um, we've talked about the regulatory framework um, that this report looked at, but I'm also intrigued by um, public perception, social media, and public pressure that is brought to bear on many of these companies when it comes out that they may have been using slave labor or or that their policies and procedures are less than robust. And it seems to me that having that robust nature could really help to protect you from a financial downfall in the stock market or other area that could be much greater than a fine or penalty. Uh, Do you see that as a, a, a legitimate threat Two companies in the United States to see their public perception or or social media outrage when something yeah. breaks uh, breaks in the news. I think that's definitely the case. You know, we know, for example, from the garment and apparel industry that after the Rana Plaza scandal, uh, there were calls for some brands to be boycotted, and we know that some lost business as a result. I think we see the same concerns that businesses have particularly in areas like fashion, retail, apparel, that when you go out and buy a new dress or shirt, you want to feel good about wearing it. You don't want to know that it's been, you know, stitched up by an 11-year-old working in conditions of slavery. And I think that organizations, as I say, have sometimes thought – about the issue, but not had a holistic solution to it. I I, I can give you just one example. A number of UK bed manufacturers had concerns from customers about beds uh, produced in Asia, where the customers had a concern that the beds were produced in conditions of slavery. So they looked to have the beds manufactured in the UK instead. But they didn't choose that wisely on the supplier. All the supplier did effectively was bring the workers over from Asia and lock them in what amounted to be a prison in the north of England and force them to make beds, which he then put Union Jacks on and said were British built. So they sort of allayed the concerns of the customers, but they didn't because all they'd done was uh, import the slaves rather than uh, the beds. And so I think for many organizations, you need to look holistically at who you're dealing with and, and where goods are being produced, but also the labor that's being used. And of course, this isn't limited to corporations that make things One of the incidents, for example, that we know about is a a London law firm where they realized that the security guards on their front desk were being held in conditions of slavery. And the issue there is not only that they're being held in conditions of slavery, but also that they're not loyal to the law firm. You know, who's looking after client security? If the gangmaster is the person that these guys are obedient to rather than the uh, law firm whose desk that they're sitting at. 
So often you have to look at these things holistically as well. Having, you know, if you're a services business, relying on people who are held in abject conditions to clean your premises, to guard your premises, to cater for your people, has security risks in addition to slavery risks. I really like your thoughts around a holistic approach. And one of the things I've been thinking about is because of the changes in economic sanctions, export control, and supply chain issues after the Russian invasion, um, many companies are finally stepping back to take that more holistic approach. And because of uh, the Uyghur Anti-Slavery Act here in the United States and the uh, more robust legislative efforts in the EU and the United Kingdom, I think American, uh, the American consuming public and American corporations are becoming much more aware of this um, so that this holistic approach and a wide variety of issues in the supply chain uh, is now being uh, taken up at a strategic level instead of the, the tactical level of the old procurement department. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. And I think that's definitely the right way to do it, isn't it? Because it it chimes in. It's not just a slavery issue, as I say. It connects to ESG. It connects to just-in-time delivery, to logistics, and to purchasing. So you need all of those seats around the table, if you like. And obviously, compliance has to have a, a say in how stuff is procured, where it's procured from, and you know, even simple things like having the right terms and conditions in place. Contracts aren't the only answer, but they're part of the answer. And it's going to be very difficult to have a program that stands up to scrutiny if, like 46% of businesses, you haven't even addressed it in your supply contract. Well, Jonathan, uh Unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I suspect we'll be looking at this down the road at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. We're going to link to the quarterly compliance client alert in our show notes, which talks about this case. I know you'll find it fascinating and interesting. I'd like to tell you about two great limited series which recently premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network. I looked at the 100th anniversary of the publication of James Joyce's Ulysses through the lens of the 21st century compliance professional in a special podcast series on greetings and felicitations. In a standalone podcast series entitled Never the Same, I took a look at how business has changed forever in five key areas after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Every compliance practitioner needs to listen to that series as your role, I think, will have dramatically changed and changed literally forever. So check out both of those podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.